we are continuing our series in, in Hebrews. This is where we've been for a number of weeks now. And as April pointed out, there are Bibles spread around in the chairs, and those are there for you. So if you, if you need a Bible, uh, feel free to take one of those with you. Um, if you need a Bible and you want to take one with you, find one of the hardbacks because they're in better condition than all the other ones. Uh, so, but those are, are there for your benefit. Um, we uh, find ourselves here in this section with a, a little bit of a, um, uh, a side note uh, that the writer of Hebrews does. So he's been talking about, we, we talked last week about Jesus as the better high priest. And, and that has been this theme all along, is that Jesus is better. If we remember, we don't know exactly who the Hebrews are or who the writer of Hebrews is, but we do know that it's a group of Jewish Christians and that they are having a really difficult time. And that they are considering giving up their faith and turning back to Judaism. We don't find ourselves uh, most likely, uh, most of us at least, in a situation where we're tempted to turn back to Judaism. But there are all kinds of things that we're tempted to turn away from uh, Jesus and turn to other things. And so the writer of Hebrews is continually saying Jesus is better. And he's going to spend a great deal of time talking about Jesus as the better high priest which we, again, began to talk about last week. The high priest being the one who intervenes for the people and allows them to have their sin forgiven and therefore have relationship with the God and creator of all things. This is a really big deal. And, and before he gets to more explanation of that, he, he takes this moment to say, but first of all, let me just note some of the issues that we're having. So in verse 11, he says, about this, we have much to say. That is about Jesus as the better high priest. Uh, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. And then he goes on to give what are some pretty uh, significant warnings mixed in with some uh, optimistic teaching as well. And so we'll, we'll get to that in a, in a moment. But he's, he, he's saying, okay, first of all, before we get to all of the details about Jesus as the better high priest, uh, let me note some, some warnings, really. And that's what we find here. Actually, some pretty, as you heard April read, some pretty difficult words, uh, particularly there in chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. Um, and I think it's appropriate for us to sit with some of that warning and, and think about it and evaluate for ourselves and find that the warning can be helpful. Sometimes we think that warning, when it comes to spiritual things, uh, is, uh, is, is too heavy or we, we don't really like it. it maybe it's not useful. Uh, we, we think of it as just kind of this superfluous uh, warning. Maybe it's like some of the, uh, I, I don't know if you have uh, noticed here and there in our very litigious society, people are always covering themselves. And so they're giving warning labels on everything. And some of them are just silly, right? So um, here were a few that I've either seen or found on the interwebs. One is um, uh, a warning on a sunshade. And it says, do not drive the car while the sunshade is in place. Okay, that's helpful. Uh, an iron, uh, do not iron clothes while they are being worn. So it's a, a good warning. Uh, pepper spray uh, may cause irritation in the eyes. That's, that's why I bought it. Um, or sleep, same thing with sleeping pills, may cause drowsiness. I, I hope so. Um, and then uh, one uh, of uh, a, a child's stroller, uh, remove child before folding. Um, you know, so like we see these kind of things around and they're, they're ridiculous, right? And, and sometimes we put uh, spiritual warnings, we, we at least give them as much attention. 
uh, is that. But we, we actually, there are many places in this world where we need good warnings. And, and so I have recently finished, uh, although uh, I'll still give my kids uh, advice, but uh, I've, I recently finished teaching all three of them to, to drive. That is, I recently finished with the, the last one. Um, and so I now have three licensed drivers. Uh, uh, th- my three kids are licensed drivers, which is, I'm, I feel old. But um, there, there's advice to be given in driving that warnings that are necessary. Like, like the one of, uh, if you're pulling out into traffic and there are multiple lanes and the closest lane stops and somebody waves you on, don't go. If you can't see the other lanes, do not go. It is a, a recipe for disaster uh, often wrecks happen that way, right? Uh, that is a good warning to receive. So anybody who drives or is about to learn to drive, take heed, take warning. Uh, that's a good one. Or, or even in driver's ed, we, they come a little bit of a joke, but the videos that you watch, uh, I, I do think that they do serve an appropriate warning of recognizing that when you get behind the wheel, there are consequences uh, to your driving. And that there can be significant consequences. There can be significant danger. And there's appropriateness to recognizing that reality so that it affects the way that we, we drive. It affects the way that we um, move forward in this world. There are all kinds of things in life we could talk about the appropriate warnings. And, and I think here we have appropriate warnings. So as the writer is saying, we, we want to move forward. We want to move more and more into the fact that Jesus is better than anything else. He says, but I want you to be aware of some of the things he loves these Hebrews, this church here, and he's, he's saying, I want you to be aware of some potential issues. And as I want you to grow and move forward in your faith, I, I have some pessimism and some optimism. And I want you to hear that for your good. And those are two points here, is his pessimism and his optimism, as he is encouraging the Hebrews, uh, followers of Jesus, to continue to walk with Jesus, to not turn away from him, to not completely deconstruct their faith. Uh, We've talked about this before, deconstruction, when we are tearing down things that aren't biblical or helpful, that is right and good. But if we completely tear down the faith, I think he's actually getting that, that a little bit here, those who have fallen away completely, that there's there's a warning there. And we should sit with it, and we should hear that. Uh, let me pray as we look at uh, this passage and hear the writer's pessimism and optimism that we might find hope in the gospel. Lord, we pray that you would meet us in the power of your Holy Spirit as you reveal yourself to us, that we would heed your warning, and that we would therefore find hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You, you can really see him alternate here between the pessimism and optimism. And uh, we, we find that chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, is some level of pessimism. And then he moves into some optimism in chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. And then in 4 through 8, some more warning, that is pessimism. And then back into hope and optimism in the end here of chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. So the first section there. Chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, is he's noting, we have to pause here because essentially he's saying you're you're spiritually unhealthy. He uses this analogy of uh, it's like you're you're drinking milk, but you you should be drinking or you should be eating solid food. And we we know how uh, children work when they're babies. They just drink milk. 
Um, and as they grow older, if you have kids or if you've been around kids, like you make a big deal that first time that they get solid food. And maybe solid food is just like some mush. Uh, but then you, you make another point of, oh, now they're actually eating food that they have to chew. And uh, these things are, are big steps. And they don't go back to a, a diet of strictly milk. It just, that's not the way that it works. If they do, then something is wrong. And they're not in a healthy spot. And that's what he's saying about the Hebrews spiritually. He's, he's, he's noting that this group, and I think it's helpful also to recognize that this is a group of those who have walked with Jesus for some time. So it's, it's, he's not talking to a group of, of new Christians. There's an appropriate place for those who are new to Christianity, to, to, the, to their faith, that they would be spiritually immature. That is certainly true, but that's not who he's talking to. He's talking to these Hebrews who have walked with Jesus for a long time, that they should actually, he says in verse 12, be able to teach others. They should have, as long as they've been walking with Jesus and a part of his church, they should be able to teach others, and yet they're at the basics. And he's saying that this is a problem, that we're essentially, he's noting, you're called to more, part of Walking with Jesus is, is growing in your faith and in your spiritual life. That it's not just this, uh, there's a, there can be a tendency with all of the distractions and things that we have going on, as, as they certainly had uh, as well, distractions or difficulties even from following Jesus. Uh, re- remember that they have been persecuted. That they have, some of them have had all of their property taken away because they are Christians. We learn in chapter 10 that they actually rejoice even in the midst of that reality. Then we see that they haven't suffered yet to the point of death yet. But it is, they're, they're experiencing some really difficult things. So we experience very difficult things. That, that, and, and this is not, and, and the writer of Hebrews doesn't dismiss that reality. And he doesn't say that those things aren't important. And yet he says in the midst of that, we should continue to walk with Jesus. We should continue to grow and seek opportunity to, to become more spiritually mature. We'll talk about in the second point some specific ways in which we might be encouraged to do that. But let me ask you to take time. I mean, it's somewhat right now, but even in later today or throughout the week to, to think about your own life and your spiritual walk, to do some level of evaluation of Where am I with Jesus? What role does he play in my life? Am I seeing him as better? Am I growing in my spiritual walk? Continually, the the scripture, we certainly see it here as he is encouraging moving away from the milk and two solid foods, as he's encouraging moving away from the elementary principles to to deeper spiritual truths. He's he's recognizing that this spiritual life is one of, of growth and movement. And it's often one of either moving forward or moving backwards. It doesn't really work well in stasis, in just a flat way that doesn't move one direction or the other. And if Jesus is just something, this thing that we tack on to the other goals and focuses of life, then then we're missing what is on, uh, on the table for us. We're missing what he has for us. It's as if, you know, he uses this idea of the food, but it's, it's also uh, the idea that we could teach others, right? It's as if we're sticking with the ABCs, not moving on to the, the, to the deeper things, right? 
Uh, imagine if in, in grad school you're a uh, biology grad student and you're, you've, you're given an exam and uh, you're supposed to come up with all this information about, uh, I, I, I avoided the sciences, I shouldn't pick biology. Uh, so we'll just say, you're asked a question of like biological things at a grad level. And, and you write out the alphabet. You write out the alphabet, you turn it in, and, and you say, look, that's correct. I got the alphabet, right? Your teacher would think you're crazy. That would be ridiculous. You move past the alphabet, hopefully many, many years before, right? Um, you, you move on to, to deeper things. But sometimes this is the way that we, we, we think school, I mean, you would never do that with school or work. We're always growing, always moving. What does it look like to, to get better, be better? Uh, and, and yet we don't often, or, or often we don't do this in our spiritual lives. What does it look like to grow with Jesus? Um, but there's an invitation to do just that. So there's this call to evaluate what, what is the spiritual food that we are uh, ingesting. And then again, we see this pessimism come in chapter 6, verses 4 through 8, these heavy words of, of warning uh, about those who have... Uh, once been enlightened and tasted the heavenly gift and share in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. He says it's impossible to restore them. There's a lot going on here that we don't have time to dive into all of the particulars. But I do think it's helpful to note that one of the things that we should always be doing uh, as we come to the word of God is we interpret scripture with scripture. So there is a reality that Hebrews is a book that requires us to go a bit deeper spiritually. It, it dives into a lot of Old Testament themes. We've already seen some of those themes come up, a lot of references to Old Testament passages, a lot of references to things going on in Leviticus that is not a book that is easily jumped into, right? There, there is a, an invitation into deeper things just in reading this letter, this sermon, uh, or as many call it, a sermon letter to, uh, to the Hebrews. We're, we're invited into these deeper things. And, um, and as we think about these things, we do recognize um, as a, a church that, that God is at work in a way that he holds his people true. We, we, we call this in the Reformed faith, which is the, the theology that we hold here at Fountain Square Presbyterian Church, that there is this term, the perseverance of the saints. And, and I don't think that this is... Uh, um, is pushing against that in, in any way. We find perseverance of the saints, which is this idea that, that those God has, has called, those who are followers of him, that he holds them to the end. Philippians 1, verse 6, uh, that, we, that Paul says, um, that I believe that the God who began a good work in you will bring it to uh, fruition, to completion. We see that Jesus himself says in John chapter 10, he says, my sheep, that is his people, my sheep hear my voice and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. He says that there's this picture of him, um, him holding his people. And yet, we have this picture of those who have fallen away. There's a warning of those that would, would walk away. And we might know people in particular who have been a part of the church. They maybe have experienced some of the things of, be, of being a part of the people of God, I think those things described here in verses four and five, and, and yet then they have turned away. We, we might uh, say that um, 
They, they have tasted, but they haven't actually, uh, and that's, that's language that's used uh, here in verse 5. They've tasted the goodness of the word of God, but they, they didn't actually believe or trust or have faith. That, that None of that language is used here. We find that language a lot. Having faith and belief and trust in God is descriptive of God's people, even throughout Hebrews, but it's not used here. So they have experienced some of the blessings of being a part of the people of God, but... 1 John 2, verse 19, is a good description, I think, of these folks. In that passage, it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might be become plain that they are not of us. And we also, the, we might be able to think of people in particular, we also have people in Scripture that fit this category. Saul, in the Old Testament, who was even a king of the people of God, ended up, walking away and rebelling against God and rejecting him and his plans. We find this with Judas. And Judas, if anybody tasted the benefits of of God, it was Judas who walked with Jesus daily for three years. And and it wasn't as though it was even evident. Uh, you, you, You know, when they're in the upper room and Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, the, the response is not, oh yeah, Judas. That wasn't the response. It, it, they were like, oh, wait, who is it? They, they didn't know. And, and, and yet uh, we find uh, that there is a warning of the reality of walking away. It's just as if, if, if we taste but don't consume. I uh, recently watched uh, Psalm. Uh, it is a documentary about uh, people training and testing to become master sommeliers. I think I said it right. And... Uh, <laughs> And these are folks who know wine, and they're able to um, uh, recommend the right wine, the right pairing, all this kind of stuff. You know, really, uh, it's actually pretty amazing that they, one of the things that they do is they taste wine, and and they are are able to tell you where it came from. Um, Just blind taste tests, and they're able to often get very close to the region and the grape and sometimes the very vineyard that that it came from. Uh, I cannot even imagine. Uh, but when they do that, it, it, they talk about this a lot in the documentary, is they're not actually drinking the wine. They're tasting it, and then they're spitting it out, which is kind of gross. But uh, this is what they do because they, they couldn't actually do their job uh, and drink all of the wine that they taste. So they taste it, but they don't consume it. And, um, and this is a, a little bit of the picture that we have here. There's a tasting of the grace of, of God and his people and his blessings. And, and yet uh, it's not actually believed. And they later demonstrate that uh, this is a warning that we should heed. So uh, there is an appropriate level of sitting with warning, of recognizing that there is a, a danger in uh, and not looking to Jesus, not growing and walking uh, in our spiritual lives in a way that, that might put us in danger of turning away, of falling away. And um, again, there's an encouragement here, I think, to actually sit a little bit with this. I, 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 there's some level at which I'd like to just explain it away. And, and I, I don't think that uh, the writer of Hebrews allows us to do that. I think as we'll see that there's hope even in the midst of this warning, but the warning is real. Uh, And it's something that we should evaluate in our own lives. Now, I recognize 
That part of the uncomfortable nature of this is that uh, whether we're followers of Jesus or, or, we're, or we're even just kind of curious about this, the, even the idea that there is a falling away, almost that there is a, you're either with Jesus or not, like we don't even like that idea of drawing those, those boundaries. And yet what we find throughout scripture is that what is happening here is that God is inviting people into his goodness. He's inviting people into the work that he's doing, that is the work of righteousness. Chapter five, verse 13. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. And this, this word righteousness, we hear it and we think, you know, somebody who's really good morally. Uh, and there is a level to that, but it, actually there's something deeper going on here. We might even translate it as justice. God's justice, God making all things right. The word of his justice, the word of his making all things right, of, of bringing shalom, that is ultimate peace to the world, fixing all that is broken. And that is what is at play. That is what is on offer here. And he is constantly inviting us into that, freely inviting us into that. But our direction is often away from that. And so there is uh, a, a call, an invitation to experience his grace, that we would be a part of that promise that is, is mentioned here, even in the, in the last verse, that we would be patient to inherit the promises of God. And the rest of actually chapter six, which were you know, not included in today's reading, but they talk about the assurances of the promises of God, that that we're invited into. And it is only by his grace that we might receive it, but he is inviting us into trust and to believe in that and warning us against not. So that there would be ultimate, that we could know that there is justice in this broken world. We look around, and we recognize that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. And yet, even as that is true, there are amazing promises here. If we turn and trust in him and look to this great high priest who offers forgiveness and draws us into relationship with the creator of the world. And so in the midst of this, even with the warnings and not negating the warnings, there is, a, there is an optimism that the writer of Hebrews has here. We see it first in verses one through three. When he says in verse one, let us leave the elementary principles, the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. So he's, he's saying, okay, look, here's the warning, but let's, let's do this. Let's, let's walk together. Let's see God work in one another. Let's get excited about what God is doing. There, there is an invitation to be a part of that. He's not saying, yeah, you guys are done. A bunch of dummies, babies. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, all right, here's a warning, but let's, let's walk with Jesus. Let's experience his blessing. Even as he calls them out, he's encouraging them to more. What, what would it look like for us to, to do this? What are, what are even just practical ways that we could jump into this? I mean, we, we know some of them just, if, you, if you've been in church like twice, uh, you, you know that reading the Bible and praying and the sacraments, we actually call those things the means of grace. Uh, that is not just a list of things that we do. Uh, it's certainly not a list of things that we do to earn his favor because that, we can never earn his favor. It is a, a, a number of things that we are given that we might experience his grace, the means, the ways in which we experience his grace. That The Bible is a way in which we might experience the grace of Jesus in our lives. 
He's giving us hope here. And there is a depth here. Like, we could spend our whole lives, and people do. I mean, people even for their jobs, theologians go deep into the Word of God, and there's always more to learn. There's always growth to be had. But the picture that we have, look at, if you want a place to start, um, read Psalm 119. It's actually the longest chapter in the Bible. If it feels too long, then go back to Psalm 19. But both of those, incidentally, Psalm 119 and Psalm 19, speak to the beauty of the Word of God. He calls it the law of God. Even the law is beautiful and something that David delights in and rejoices in. It's better than honey. It's better than gold. It's better than anything that we could imagine that there's a, a joy in the word of God. Let us not just, oh, yeah, yeah, the Bible. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and not dismiss it as something that, we, oh, of course I know that. That we would spend time learning and reading about God's word. That we would pray that we would spend time talking to our creator. This is a, uh, something that we're invited into, relationship with the Father, with the creator. We talked about it even last week in chapter four, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. The throne of grace is where God is. Drawing near to him is coming before him uh, in prayer, in relationship. They're just sort of, we could go on and on about uh, verses that call us and invite us into prayer. I'll, I'll read one, Ephesians 6, verse 17 and 18. We take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, so the Word of God, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Supplication, prayer, relationship with Him. This is what we're invited into. And we're certainly invited into it weekly in worship, and there's something significant that happens in corporate worship that is a part of all of this, but we're also invited into it in relationship with one another at other times, whether that's community group or just gathering with friends uh, at different times. It's something we do as individuals as well, and so this week we have new daily prayer plans, which is, it gives us a liturgy for each day over the Lenten season. Uh, grab one of those on your way out. We also have a, a I don't know exactly what to call it, but a little bit of a guide of thankfulness during the Lenten season, to use this Lenten season to thank the Lord for what he has given us. It's another way to engage relationship with him, to go deeper in our walk with him. Two easy resources to grab on your way out in order that we might grow spiritually and engage him. Uh, Sunday school uh, that we're doing has been a really beautiful opportunity to think about some of God's promises for what is to come, uh, to go deeper into those truths and, and to talk about how they apply to our lives. There are all kinds of ways, all kinds of podcasts and books that we can read. And there is an encouragement here to think about, okay, what? I, please don't hear this and think, okay, now I gotta do the daily prayer plan and the Linton guide and a, a new community group and a new group. And a, that, that's not what I'm saying, but think about what is one thing that you could do, one thing to, to grow more spiritually starting this week. And uh, I'd be happy to give podcast recommendations, books of the Bible recommendation, other books as recommendations. What is one thing that you could do uh, to grow in your spiritual walk with the Lord? Because within this, there is great hope. He gives that warning. And then in verse nine, he says, after having said, let's, let's move forward. In verse nine, 
he has then just given the warning and says, though we speak in this way, though I recognize this is heavy, what I'm saying, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. And he goes on to talk about full assurance of hope until the end in verse 11. He's recognizing there is incredible reason to be hopeful, to have assurance of that hope even, um, that uh, he's saying, I've seen you walk with Jesus. We, let's continue to walk with Jesus. There is hope in the midst of that. And, and if you're wondering, oh my goodness, does this apply to me? Uh, I mean, I think if, if you're uh, wondering if this applies to you as someone who might have fallen away, I, I think I can say very clearly pastorally, that's not the way that somebody has fallen away is thinking. Um, that, that's not the way that it works. If, if, we're, if we are moving, desiring as, as he does, to move forward with earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope, that is a sign of his continued work in our lives. And so we're invited into that. And we're invited into all of this because he is the one at work. He is that great high priest. Verse three of chapter six says, recognizes this reality. And this we will do if God permits. And this is this picture of sanctification that is growing spiritually, being made more like Jesus, if God permits. It's his work that he does. And that's continually the picture of salvation. Even as it notes that it's impossible to to return, we, we remember, you can't read this and not hear Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, when he's talking about a rich man entering the kingdom of heaven. He says, it's impossible. But the very next thing that Jesus says is what is impossible with man is possible with God, that he is able to do it. That's the kind of work that he does because of what he has accomplished for us, because he is that great high priest who has offered himself as that ultimate sacrifice. Salvation itself is his work. Ephesians 2 tells us and reminds us that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. A dead person can't do anything. It takes one outside them to give life. It takes God to give life, and that's exactly what he does. So endurance, walking with him, not falling away, faith, belief, all of it is because of the promises of God. And if we look to him and we trust in him and believe and rely upon him, the invitation is have hope, have assurance, walk with him, and that we can have that not only for our salvation, but also uh, for our growth spiritually. Let's pray.